Appreciate you for joining me today on another installment of the I Can't Make This Up podcast, man. Uh, sincerely, I appreciate you. Great to be on. No doubt, no doubt. So, um, won't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to my audience? Well, I appreciate you having me, Terrence. Uh, Jordan Scott from New York City. Started Foul Ball Safety Now a little over a year ago. I found out that uh, there was problems that I had no idea about. I'm excited to share with you about the injuries, how regular they do occur at major league and minor league games in America. And um, I've just been at it for like two years from just self-publishing articles and doing research and putting a book together and having press conferences and I actually hired a publicist for eight months from November of 2020 to June of 2021. And, you know, and now here we are, I'm fortunately getting an opportunity to come on podcasts and talk. So it's been quite a journey. Mm, sounds like it. Um, you, you're from New York originally? I am from New York City. Yep. Born in Brooklyn. That's a a big New York. I, mean, I said big New York, a big baseball state. So I'm assuming that's something that you uh, you feel real passionate about. Uh, seeing as though you have uh, you know started this up and you know have been going ever since. Definitely, definitely. I grew up a baseball fan, a New York Mets fan, and um, uh, just. Uh, Love the team, love the sport, still love the team, still love the sport. But there's certainly uh, issues that, you know, really question everything about baseball, which, you know, we're going to get into and why the status quo remains about, you know, the injuries. You know, most fans that come to games, they think they're going to the game to catch a foul ball. And they associate foul ball with fun. They don't associate foul balls with flirting with danger or death. And I think once fans start realizing how often this occurs, it's going to sort of taint their past experiences because they'll realize that their growing families could have been part of a statistic that nobody really wants to be part of. And you know, that being said, uh, hopefully we'll bring more fans into this conversation and deliver some sort of epiphany of outrage. Um, so we're happy to get into with you on any of your questions. And I'll certainly uh, elaborate on, you know, why I believe things I'm saying and uh, back it up with statistics. Okay. So what was the actual incident that actually, uh, you know, sparked this awareness inside of you? Sure. Uh, so two, two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, there was a little girl in Houston. A uh, ball really hit her hard. And 
uh, two-year-old baby. And it was got a lot of visibility for a short time on national TV. And I realized, like, this can happen again, like, in a minute. Like, the next time ba- baseball, uh, that particular game resumes, it could happen again on the next pitch. Um, and I did my – I started doing research. It was a little girl. The, the ball – was hit by Almora, who at the time was with the Cubs. He did a short stint with the Mets this year. He was up and down in the minor leagues, uh, utility player. Um, but he he was the one who who really severely injured the girl, and I just thought it was outrageous that this could happen. And why are children, you know, attending these games? And why haven't the regulatory agencies, you know, come in? you know, to say, no, man, you cannot have your child, you know, in a pinball machine where balls ricochet at hundred miles per hour. It doesn't make any sense, but fortunately in 2021, the problem still persists. And I'll get into that with you as well. So, uh, you know, when I uh, first, you know, read your profile and everything, and this isn't a statistic that comes up in, you know, everyday conversation or, or even monthly conversation. This was, you know, it's always a, uh, you know, a thing that can happen, but the the frequency of it isn't reported. So you highlighting that, you know, I got to commend you on that, number one. Number two, um you know, what are the uh, statistics on, you know, yearly injuries from foul balls? Sure. So, you know, I've documented just from newspaper articles. I'm working with a guy who's helping me write the book. And we've done so much research, like state by state. And so far I have from 2008 to 2019, uh, we have documented 43 children with very serious injuries. Um, And that's mostly from the major leagues accounting, but we do believe that's this three times as many more games in the minor leagues. And maybe unfortunately those incidences don't go recorded. So possibly a hundred children or more that have been seriously injured since 2008. Um, the foul balls, how many foul balls reach the seats every year. That's something I could be specific about. They keep count the foul balls. And just at the major leagues, the last full season, there were 53,000 foul balls hit. Now, maybe 20,000, according to the uh, guy, maybe around one-third of the uh, foul balls actually make the seats. So we're talking about 20,000 balls. Maybe some of them are going up and down, but maybe many or more than one for sure are going at 100 miles per hour into places where you have no business being certainly children. So, um, you know, I have some statistics and some people that have been part of my campaign at foul ball safety. Now a handful of people who've had life changing experiences, including Erwin Goldblum, his wife, Linda Goldblum died at Dodger stadium in 2018 and he's been part of my Zoom calls, my virtual Zoom calls when I had my publicity team. He's been to six or seven of them just this year. So, um, and there's a few other people that have been coming on those regular calls as well that have had life-changing experiences, including two girls by the name of Alexis. One was four when she was hurt and one was 10 when she was hurt. 
Uh, one is now 14, one is now 17. The four-year-old who's now 14 has like post-neurological issues, unfortunately. And unfortunately uh, for the older Alexis, 17, she seems to be okay. But both of them came inches, I mean like split inches from death. Um, yeah. So it's just like, and this is, and I'll give you more statistics as well, but I'll, I'll give you an opportunity for a few studies that were done by NBC and, and some other places that I could share with you. But if you, if you want to chime in on something, I'm sorry, Terrence. Oh, no, you're good. I, I was just curious. Um, I'm assuming uh, that, you know, nine times out of 10, these injuries are to the head. I don't know. Like NBC did a report. Uh, they they did a report. They interviewed me for the report. They didn't use me in the report in 2019. I was just getting started on this campaign. Uh, they did it a study. It, it, it accounted for four out of the 30 major league teams. They all have all 30 major league teams have their own independent um, contractor of like first aid people. So maybe there's a handful of people that are there if somebody gets hit by a ball. So four out of the 30 teams actually shared data with how many people had reported to the first aid of those companies at four out of the 30 major league teams. So we took the math and we compiled it. And I suggested 5,000 injuries that reported to first aid from 2012 to 2019. Uh, the LA Times guy actually posted, said 4,500. So at least, you know, I was in the ballpark. I don't really feel there's any need to exaggerate or stretch any sort of numbers when it comes to this kind of thing. It's almost implying the study uh, that you could all check it out. NBC foul ball report. It's implying that if all 26 teams, all 30 teams had shared the same type of data, uh, it would have been like 4,500 to 5,000 injuries reported to first aid. Now, how many of these are head injuries and eye injuries? <clears throat> You know, I like to talk conservatively. So even if it was only 100, which is like only 100, they were preventable. They're life-changing experiences. Maybe most of them were, you know, broken finger, broken nail, which I wouldn't consider, you know, a major life-changing experience. But those head injuries, I don't know, Terrence, to answer your question. But clearly, if I know a handful people that have experienced head injuries and people associated with people that have died, um, you know, and I'm not even that effective on social media, you know, I need for those 4,500 folks that reported to first aid to find this conversation and tell me their story. And that's what people can do who are listening at foulballsafetynow.com. They can talk to me off the record or if they want to be quoted for the book, they can go on the record. Okay, so in your experience as a, a baseball fan for pretty much all your mm -hmm. life, have you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, been in a stadium or on the field where you actually saw somebody got injured or knew somebody that got injured? You know, I had a couple of experiences. And just mind you, circling back, those that study was only for the major leagues. Mm -hmm. So if possibly three times as many more games in the minor leagues at the time during 2012 and 2019, there were about 2,400 major league games a year and about 9,000 minor league games a year. So what are we talking? 13,500 people that reported the first aid. 
in the minors. I mean, you know, one can say that. But so I just don't want to forget about the minor leagues. And I'll get into those conditions later uh, at, at those ballparks, you know. But my own two experiences that I can impart on where I sort of got the epiphany of like, oh, man, this is an issue. And nobody's doing a damn thing about it. Which was one, I was in Brooklyn, a cyclone game back in the early 2000s with my nephews and some people. And we're outside and we're standing outside on Surf Avenue near Coney Island, by Coney Island, in Coney Island, um, right by the boardwalk. And the ball comes flying outside the stadium behind home plate because those minor league stadiums, balls can reach the parking lots or reach the streets. They just can't. I'm not sure you know, in your neck of the woods, what minor league stadiums are by you, but they're lower and they frequently come out the balls and it hit this young person we were with in the forearm and it left a big mark on his arm. Now, if it went a couple of feet, a foot higher, it would have been his head or his eye or his mouth or his teeth could have been. And there was no notice and there's no plan to prevent passerbys, people waiting to go into the game people mingling on the street to be clunked. And I heard that issue is still today because somebody told me they had been to a cyclone game and witnessed somebody getting hit by a ball that flew outside of the ballpark. Now, are those those balls that come at you in a half a second at 100? No. But should one be standing outside the stadium? And the, like, what, what was that? A meteor? No, it was a foul ball. And it just hit that person. And still, possibly still today, throughout the minor leagues, there's no plan of action to stop those raining balls, whether it's one a week or one a day or one an hour. It's probably one too many that come out on the street and should not be possibly hurting somebody. So that being said, uh, another time, Mets Cardinals in 2006 at Chase Stadium, I had to pay a little bit more money than I would have liked, but I got the best. I got the only seat I could find, and it was two hundred bucks. And I was sitting next to celebrities like Jerry Seinfeld for a big playoff game, and I was like four rows from the field. I'm like, "What am I doing here, man? This is nerve wracking." There was no nets over the dugout at the time, as you probably know, all your listeners who are baseball fans. Netting just started happening a few years ago, and it's been baby steps. But in my mind, it's been half measures and piecemeal, and it ain't doing the trick. And I'll get to that a little bit later about the legal angles. Um, but, yeah, I was nerve-wracked the whole game. I wasn't, I wasn't so relaxed. I was rooting for the Mets. I stayed a few hours to watch the game. They ended up winning that game. They ended up losing the following game, and they did not go to the World Series. And the following game, I actually sat. Maybe some of your listeners will remember this catch by Andy Chavez was a utility fielder. He made a great, great catch, and he saved a tying or winning home run, but then the Cardinals ended up winning a few innings later, and that was the end of that journey for 2006. But those were the two experiences that I had, you know, with, being aware of this isn't right. And there was an incident that happened in New York with the Jacobson girl at Yankee Stadium with Todd Frazier. And I 
may have been traveling at the time or not sure why I didn't know about that one right away. But that was also a very serious injury. Your listeners could look up Todd Frazier, foul ball. It's all over the Internet. She was also a little girl. But those are those are the incidences. And, and it led me to doing research and audits of the minor leagues and the major league stadiums last year and this year, which I'm happy to get into with you so I can give you the state of the union from how I've learned about it. So if anyone wants to talk about that or if you want to ask me more about that. Yeah, you actually brought up something that I, I wanted to question. Um, I've been to... Sure. Uh, more minor league games than uh major league games okay um, and uh in the minor league stadiums that i've been to um i didn't i don't remember seeing any nets but in the couple major league stadiums i did i did see some but not mm-hmm. you know everywhere so mm-hmm. you know the, the i guess you could say the, the production in those nets they they weren't you know, all over the stadium, they were just in certain places, I guess, where right. known foul balls are to go, you know, which are, which are mm-hmm. understandable. So with a, with an issue like this, that's growing, uh, mm-hmm. at least the awareness of it, you know, why wouldn't they take those steps to actually, you know, put those everywhere to prevent, um, you know, uh, people from being injured, number one and two, um, you know, also to prevent, you know, that that one ball that might make it into the parking lot, you know? Yeah. That, well, uh, I, in, in 2019, Commissioner Manford, who's been saying things, half measures and, and statements that never are followed through on things like where we're doing significant studies and you'll see that when the season begins in 2020, that there'll be a lot of people that move the nets down to the foul pole. This is the major leagues. Um, so what I did to, to follow through to see if anything had been done was to, sorry about that all. Um, what I, what I wanted people to do is to, just to, for the record, I am legally parked in a residential area. And I just wanted to follow through on that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, and it is a nice day outside, so I need to keep the windows just a little bit open. Um, so uh, just to follow through on that, I called all the spring training facilities I could reach in 2020, right before the COVID shutdown. And I found at least 16 one six out of the 30 teams hosting games still had no nets past dugouts. Where did that little girl get seriously injured in Houston? Just past the end of the dugouts. So nothing was done from December 2019 to, to the March of 2020 when I made my rounds of calls to all those spring training teams, uh, major league clubs, spring uh spring training facilities where they host home games. Um, so that was 16 out of 30. Some of the teams do share spring training ballparks and maybe 23 ballparks altogether, but they 16, one six were hosting those games with no netting past dugouts. And then this year in 2021, 
I called all the remaining minor league clubs that I could reach. It was downsized a little bit from 160 to 120. Actually, pretty significant, 25% uh, downsized. But I reached between 90 and 100 minor league ballparks, box offices on the phone and asked them simple questions. Just like, hey, where do your nets go? And at least 42 out of the nearly 100 teams that I spoke to, you can all go to my website at foulballsafetynow.com, check out the major league report and the minor league report. On the minor league report, I indicate all those teams that I identified, at least 42 minor league clubs still had no netting past dugouts. Again, where do, where do things get crushed? past the end of the dugouts where can lives be changed forever by foul balls past the end of the dugouts where balls reach you in a split second and nobody whether you're a former baseball player sitting there with your family or whether you're a baby you're not getting out of the way that's what i say about that uh so i'm disgusted that this occurs and i even found out the worst of the worst in Peoria, Illinois, they didn't even have nets above the dugouts. And supposedly six, seven years ago, we were all hosting home games for the first time past uh, with nets above the dugouts. If anyone goes to my website at foulballsafetynow.com, you'll see this lady, Tara, who works with me. She produced a commercial. It shows what can happen. When a ball goes in between, when a ball goes over the dugout with no nets and it showed these two guys and both of these guys came six inches from a bloody mess, a life changing experience that nobody wants to face in the face, that type of thing. Uh, so please check out that it compares to what's happening in Peoria. So this year they started the season, hosted games with no nets they gave me some silly excuse. Well, we put it on or the nets are on order from Europe and they haven't arrived as of yet. Well, then why are you open for business, man? It's like we're having a building and people walking underneath and they're waiting for the cement to come to reinforce the bricks that come down from time to time. It don't work. You wouldn't be allowed to walk down the street if the bricks are regularly coming down on you. But I actually made a statement. Again, go to the website. You'll see that I actually rented out an airplane and they towed one of these banners and it said, hey, Peoria, Nets, foulballsafetynow.com. And I made a statement. And unfortunately, there were some local eyewitness news people that covered it and made my point. And we need to make statements like this. The state of the union in the minor leagues is horrible. So... That's what I got to say about that, Terrence. Yeah, it it's, sounds like a huge problem that, that needs to be highlighted on a national level. I, um, like, like I stated earlier, I was unaware of how frequent um, these injuries happen, let alone the quantity. So uh, my next question to you is, um, I know that I, uh, to my understanding, uh, major league, uh, you know, baseball programs are publicized, uh, you know, on TV and everything. And there aren't too many, um, 
uh, minor league games that are, I guess, televised uh, more radio than anything, if I'm not mistaken. You know what? I think there's a minor league network. I think baseball's trying to capitalize on anything and everything. Mm -hmm. So you may be able to sign up and pay some bucks every month and watch every minor league game, but I'm not really sure. Um, So that I'll leave to anyone who's curious. Um, So I don't know. But on a normal season, 70 million fans are going to major league games. 30, 40 million people are going to minor league games. It's a huge industry. And thousands of missiles are flying into the seats. Something needs to be done about it. And there's certainly some missiles flying into the seats. We know that. How many out of the 20,000 on the MLB level and 60,000 or so on the minor league level? You know, I don't know. You know, but it's it needs to be done. The only solution, and I'll give you some solutions because there is optimism. You know, there's a call to action. And the fans who are listening, the concerned citizens who are listening, you could definitely go to the website at foulballsafetynow.com. I have two petitions. One is to repeal the baseball rule, which we should talk about. Uh, That would then compel baseball to fix the problem because the baseball rule is about the microprint and nobody ever notices it. And if it was ever up on the scoreboard, families would be like oh yeah that's that little microprint that nobody ever reads and understands but once it's up on the scoreboard in large letters all of a sudden families will be scrambling to get out of there with their kids because they would tell them wait a second are we in danger and then they would find out about foul ball safety now and our conversation and they'd be like man we possibly are let's get the heck out of here so they've kept it in microprint and nobody's really noticed it Fans don't study it. They still bring their kids and they don't really pay much attention to it. But that's one, the baseball rule. Let's repeal the baseball rule and let's make baseball be responsible for protecting us and and, and not covering their behinds if they hurt somebody. Uh, it's, it's almost connected to the second petition as well, which is uh, to just ask for more nets. So if we get a, 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 a bunch of signatures at both of those petitions to repeal the baseball rule and to ask for more nets, then there's pressure we can bring to the Congress and say, man, you guys have not been paying attention to this. Start paying attention. Stop making deals with these, with these teams and letting them off the hook. There's been some issues, which I'll get into it with you now, Terrence, which is part of those petitions. So Illinois seems to be a hotbed for activity right now. Um, There was a case in 2018. It was an incident that happened. Eddie Rybarski case in 2018. uh, He was was smashed in the face and he had issues, no doubt. Eddie went to court. And the judge just said in Illinois that baseball, possibly, there's a term called willful and wanton willful and then the next word is want on w-a-n-t on willful wanton is a term that the judge used to describe that eddie rybarski's case can continue so that's good news for the plaintiffs out there it's implying willful wanton that all of those clubs 
or at least in this particular case, the White Sox, made a conscious decision in 2018 when the Nets were at where they were only to do it to some degree, meaning the judge is suggesting that they made a conscious decision. Let's say the Nets should have been 100 feet high. They made the conscious decision only to make it 50 feet high. It was almost like a prior conclusion, but based on misleading information to the general public. So it's implying that baseball should have put their nets up higher, but further, wider. Prior to this young person, I'm not sure how old Eddie is, uh, got injured. So that's good news. And I'm excited. And heck, I'm going to get T-shirts that say willful wanton because it strongly suggests it, that, that term when people realize what it means it's saying the judge is allowing it to proceed, saying that the team made a conscious decision to put the nets only to a certain place where they could have gone even further. So it's really exciting that that case is moving forward. And the baseball rule, we can get into that, too. But if you want to comment on this whole willful wanton thing, and then we can really break down the baseball rule if you'd like. Um, yes, we can go into the baseball rule. So the baseball rule has been around for 108 years. And it basically, in 1912, 1913, it knew that they had to do something to protect themselves because they knew that people would be getting hit by balls from time to time. And they came up with, they came up with this law, um, and it basically clause that allowed them to continue to maim people for 108 years and not be held responsible. And the people that have gone to court or attempted to go to court after they've been hurt, and there's been a lot of cases that tried to go to court, most don't even make it out of their lawyer's office. So the lawyer will say, sorry, you really don't have a case. The baseball rule. They tell you even though it's in tiny microprint, they did tell you that you, you're not, they're not responsible for hurting you or liability. And then sometimes the case will go to the first round and the judge will say something like, uh, the judge will say something like, sorry guys, the case, the case cannot proceed. It's the baseball rule. Sorry, you don't have a case. And then in some other times, uh, the plaintiff actually made some headway and the judge would say something like, okay, the defendant is baseball MLB. Let's see what they've known. So it's called discovery. And that's when MLB gets nervous because they don't want to be able, they don't want to show what they know. So the judge says, okay, let's see what you know. Similar to the NBC study, who knows what's behind the doors at MLB under lock and key? Maybe we're going to find out how many thousands of injuries, and 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 maybe there's a, maybe there's a document that even implies something like big tobacco that there could have been some prior knowledge to that this you know science guy said you can't allow this to continue. Now I know that's a stretch, but I'm only saying maybe. Uh, so what what? What is the possibilities? MLB is like, well, one, 
We don't want to be able to open up the secrets to the general public, whatever they may be. So let's just make a settlement with this client, with this plaintiff. And I think that's what's happened. And there's been a few settlements, but most of the cases don't even make it to that point. It's never gone all the way. I mean, actually, it may have. This is a case that I'm, I'm, I'm looking into right now. But, but very few have gone, uh, you know, all the way to the jury. Or I'll tell you this, nobody in public, in the public, general public, has ever saw the secrets in MLB. My, my, my theory is that uh, when Commissioner Manford took the keys from Bud Selleck, and Commissioner Manford is a very smart lawyer. Selleck actually is not a lawyer, but he teaches some law class in Arizona. Look it up. And I'm going to try to interview him, too. Um, but Selleck probably said something like this. And like I said, this is my theory. Selleck probably said something to Manford when he gave him the keys to the commissioner's office. He said, hey, man, you make sure those secrets stay secret. And Manford's like, yeah, yeah, you don't have to tell me. I'm a lawyer. I know. So that's just my theory, guys. They want to keep those secrets secret, and the general public has never, ever seen those secrets. So hopefully it'll come out in court one day. It's certainly not going to come out volunteer. And unfortunately, the status quo remains, and, and young families continue to go to the games, not thinking of – they think of foul balls and fun. They, they still don't think of foul balls of flirting with dangers and death. And my job is to get families to think about that in the present, and to also remind them that their past experiences are tainted. So that's my story, man. Uh, that's deep. That's uh, actually, you know, I've heard about the uh, baseball rule, but I didn't know the uh, the finite entities that actually went behind it. I think that, you know, any major corporational entity, um, you know, they kind of, they bank on someone not reading that fine print, that stuff that, you know, basically weighs your rights from, you know, any type of suit in case of injury or things like that. So you basically sign by making that purchase and not, you know, reconsidering your decision to, you know, just simply enjoy a baseball game at your favorite team stadium. So I would think that, you know, major league and minor league stadiums would have, um, insurance policies for things like this. Like if it, if it wasn't from a baseball injury, let's say like, uh, you know, a chair broke and it caused an injury or a pipe burst or, you know, something random happened. So the baseball rule kind of, you know, negates that and prevent them from, you know, uh, being sought out legally do, uh, you know, do if someone got injured through a foul ball or something of that nature. Yeah, you know, I could, I, I, now that I've been doing this for a while, I've been coming up with things to describe what I think this is similar to. So I compare baseball to almost like a traveling carnival with rides operating without a license. Uh, and unfortunately, that's pretty low um, because they know in advance that you know, little children are going to be subjected to pinball machine balls going at 100, whether it's a direct hit or a ricochet, you're not getting out of the way. So, yeah, this is baseball for you, in my opinion, today and yesterday and all throughout the past. 
and it's not just the major league baseball. It's all of every, it's everyone, including the fans, including me that could have stepped up and done more for years. And I call it the baseball industrial complex guys, because nobody's exposed this. I'm the, I, somebody told me um, since I was seeking the investigative journalist to write about this for a while, that I ultimately am that investigative journalist. You know, I go, okay, I guess I am. Um, not only are the baseball players living a double standard, but it's the writers, it's the broadcasters, and certainly it's the uh, it's the play uh, the players, the broadcasters, the writers, and clearly the owners that have uh, looked the other way. Baseball players. At my website at foulballsafetynow.com, in one of the major league reports or the minor league reports of 2021, I stacked all the players' quotes I can find that have said things like, there's no way I allow my own family to sit there. Why don't they just put up a net around the whole ballpark? You know, things like that. We should ask the broadcasters and the writers who probably all went to journalism school. So I actually hold them to a higher standard. They're supposed to be truth tellers and advocates for the right thing. And they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. They get paid by, uh, you know, in New York, there's probably 25 full-time baseball writers who probably all went to journalism school. I'm waiting for that non-baseball writer who doesn't care and wants to do the investigative piece, but they would also then have to include in the investigative piece, the role of their base of the baseball writers, guys who they probably used to sit in class with at college. But, you know, I can go on about that. And how about the broadcasters enlightening us? We hear them talk and talk and talk, but did you ever hear one of them say, or did you ever see the TV cameras really show the situation when the fan got hurt in the injury? They don't want to put the radar on the incident because it'll scare the folks at home. When did we ever hear announcers say something like, you know, if that guy gets hurt, if that guy's hurt, he's not even paid for his medical bills. And then the other guy saying something like, and what business does he have being there with his kid? I believe that but since 1970, since a young man died at Dodger Stadium, the two deaths that occurred at major league level, both in 1970 and 2018, certainly was the time to prohibit children to sit in those sections since 1970 because it was foreseeable and predictable. And certainly, if adults want to go flirt with danger and death, that's one thing. But you can't bring your kid. You're probably not allowed to bring your child into these places where you're running with the bulls. But if you want to be a nut and run with the bull, you can't bring your kid because children's services will be like, no, no, man, you, what are you, you're out of your mind. Yes. But you can't be allowed to be out of your mind with your kid. You know, same thing with the seatbelts. They took that thing and now the kids, the parents discretion in the 1970s. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, parents. We know the deal. Kids get hurt. You got to put seatbelts on them. It's, it's not in your, you can, you do not have that discretion. So we could come up with a few more examples. I hope I'm coming up with some decent ones. Most definitely. I think that 
I mean, you're hitting all the marks when it comes to, you know, explaining the reality of the situation. I think that, you know, a lot of people can feign ignorance and, you know, people like those announcers, you know, I believe that they're guided to do their job and do their job only. And that's to report baseball and not really be the voice of reason or that, you know, citizen that's, you know, voicing their opinion about something that just happened. So right. in your in your two years since you started this campaign, um, have you received, you know, much pushback or flack from starting this or if any at all? Yeah. So for the few people that did talk to me, they were very quick to get rid of me because <laughs> I reminded them that I want to talk about the role of the baseball writer. I want to talk about the role of the broadcaster. I want to talk about the role of the producers who operate the cameras. I interviewed a couple of people for the book. Can't mention the names right now because mm. the radar is going to come on these guys when the book does come out. Two ESPN announcers and a Fox cameraman, somebody who's been doing it for a long time. And they were very revealing. And when you talk to people one-to-one, -one, like if they get in an elevator with us or get on an airplane with me, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to talk about it. And they're going to be honest about it. I think they will, one-on-one. -on -one. But these guys do not want to bite the hand that feeds them. So I call it the baseball industrial complex. MLB is at the top. They're the top of the pyramid. And below that, you have the publishing community, which is the newspapers and the editors and the writers. And then you have the broadcasting community, which is the network and the cameraman and the talkers, broadcasters and the sponsors. And that's what it is, man. I wrote letters to the governor of Illinois. I wrote Caterpillar, who's the naming sponsor for Peoria Ballpark, and said, what are you guys doing, man? What is happening? Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. So I'm trying to be assertive, trying to be cool about it. You know, I'd love somebody to join me on this journey. And certainly if anyone has expendable dollars out there and wants to make, make some statements with, with, with me, you know, I did a second rental of an airplane in in, uh, in Dyersville, Illinois, so I'm ready to do more. So if anyone has expendable dollars, let me know. We'll make a statement. We'll rent out an airplane. And just to get to the second airplane, that was the Field of Dreams game, maybe a little over a month ago in August. Remember, it was that whole thing with the Field of Dreams and the Kevin Costner, you know, I actually rented out an airplane, flew over the neighborhood of Dyersville in the ballpark area. So people would see it. It said Field of Screams, mm -hmm. Nets, foul ball safety now. And they flew around for a while. So that was good. Um, but you see, and then I found out, just to add more to that, where, where it's going in Iowa, they plan on hosting one of these fantasy games next year as well. And I've already started talking to people in Iowa. And I want to tell people in Iowa that before MLB uses Iowa to host their games and their fantasy games, all the people that I know, which are a handful, and how many hundreds of people, they all need to be welcomed back to baseball. And there's people that I know from 40 years ago, Jenny who lost her eye in 1979 at Shea Stadium. I interviewed her for the book.
and it has a long-term effect on these people from then to now. And all these victims and anyone who could find me at Fallible Safety Now, their impact statements need to be heard. They need reparations. They need sincere apology. They need to not feel bitter anymore. They need to want, they want, they want to be able to watch the games. And this was very interesting. They don't want their children playing baseball. So it has a psychological effect on them, even in the next generation. Jenny was a teenager. And then years later, when she was a mom, she was relieved that her child chose not to play baseball. And the only way MLB's gesture will be welcomed by any of these people that I know or who knows how many more that are going to find this conversation um, is if Major League Baseball is sincere. And that means baseball is gone. Independent netting council of architects and engineers come into all of the ballparks, not MLB's architects and engineers, but are like a regulatory agency that says, all right, let's go in. We see, oh, this is how fast the balls go, how high, how far, how wide. This is where the nets need to be. This is where kids can definitely never, ever sit. This is where kids may be able to sit. This is where kids can sit. Whatever. It's above our pay grade, Terrence, but we need to open up this conversation at the end of the day We want all of these 120 minor league ballparks who are affiliates of the major leagues. MLB is paying those salaries of those minor leaguers. We need to hang a sign in every one of these 150 ballparks, not from MLB, but from the independent netting council that says this ballpark is maiming free. And to add to what we were talking about inside and out because we need to get a plan for when balls rain on the street as well. So we need to have an independent netting council that knows where the balls go in the ballpark and outside the ballpark. And then it says this, this ballpark is naming free inside and out. Have a nice day, everyone. And then it's like, holy smokes, there's now integrity in baseball. It was never there, guys. No Hall of Fame for anybody. I'm sorry, guys. I'm adding players to my list because players knew this. Tony Clark was a minor league player 25 years ago. He now runs the union. And he knows that the next generation of 5,000 minor leaguers that are all looking for 750 jobs, most of them will not get. He knows that these young people bear the burden knowing they could be the next one to do the maiming. And they don't care. They're just interested in nurturing the prospects because you need the 5,000 players to nurture the few guys that got the $100,000 bonus, right? You can't just develop on your own. Baseball's a team sport. So I hope uh, we need to protect those souls that are coming up. I don't expect them to be the whistleblowers. They're in the middle of their journey. But four of those minor leaguers have talked to me for the book. Very courageous guys. They put their name on it. Wow. And, um, you know, and I hope to have 40 more quotes in the uh, offseason. I'll be contacting them now that the minor league season is practically done or done. I didn't want to get in their heads during the season. I don't blame this generation. I blame the past generation. Now it's time to get in their heads because it's offseason. And maybe they'll blow the whistle or that's their call. 
but they could certainly elaborate and come on podcasts like ours, like yours, that we're doing. Thank you, Terrence. That was a probing question. Most definitely. Um, You know, listening to the conviction in your voice um, about how strongly you feel about this, has it created a uh, a bias towards, uh, you know, baseball in general in your life? Like, has it made it difficult for you to look at it the same now that you uh, have started this campaign? And has it, you know, uh, negated, you know, any good until you see a major change in it? Well, you know, that, that's a good question. It brings up the fact that, unfortunately, today, even ESPN, who did a reasonably good piece, it's on my website at Foul Ball Safety Now. They probably spent $100,000 on producing it or a lot of money. And I'm like, wow, this was great. They had 750,000 views. <clears throat> they had 4,300 comments. But 80% of the comments are still blaming the fan. You know, they're still saying, oh, pay attention. Oh, stop looking at your phone. And But 20% of those people were saying reasonably intelligent things. So I'm happy about that. Most people are still thinking nets and problems for them and their individual experience. So there needs to be a lot of work. So as long as there still seems to be prevalent naysayers, I'm going to continue fighting. Now, ESPN, who who got the 750,000 views and the 4,300 comments for the last X amount of months or year and a half, you know, it, it was buried. Nobody saw this piece. So I actually started spending money. I'm, I've spent more than four figures so far on re-promoting this video because it's in line with foul ball safety now. So if ESPN got pressure from MLB, oh, now everyone's complaining about the Nets or, or, or you know, giving us a headache that they need more Nets. Well, they didn't continue to promote it. And I felt like they should have. So I'm promoting. I'm feeling like, wow, all right. That's a lot more work than Tara could put out. And she's my producer of commercials. And I'm like, they hand delivered me a great production. It is a five minute produced piece at ESPN, but it's on my website. So I've been spending money on trying to get people to stay engaged with this. So as long as there's naysayers out there, you know, I need to convert people, as you will, or I need to remind people. Really, guys, think about it. All those times you went to the games with your two and four year old, and your six and eight year old, and your ten and twelve year old. Seriously, I mean, you know, you 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 accept the fact that your memory is is solid. If you knew that you could have been part of like a weekly statistic of going to the emergency room, I think most people would be like, "Wow, we were probably having good times on the false pretenses." That's how I describe it, Terrence. And I hope families will help me and come up with that description of their memories, unfortunately. I think that, you know, some people learn to, you know, associate times like that with good memories because they were trying to get away from some bad. I don't see a lot of people, um, you know, viewing it that way or even taking mm-hmm. the time out to even, you know, join the petition because, of, because they mm-hmm. actually weren't injured or right. close to injured or unaware. So it's kind of like, uh, 
you know, if if it if it doesn't affect me, then I'm not going to worry about it. And that really shouldn't be the case. Even if you weren't, you can at least, you know, help spread the message and the awareness about, you know, the dangers of this particular, you know, uh, problem. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, can't thank you enough for having me on. Uh, I think we covered a lot. Uh, if there's any other questions, you know, happy to address them with you. Um, I actually, uh, I did have one more. Um, sure. I, I, I just wanted to know, um, you know, how big of a difference has your campaign gotten from since your start till it is uh, to this day? Well, I'm so committed to this now. Um you know, the book is coming along and I believe it's going to be told almost like a play or like a stage presentation. I want to make sure whoever it is that's helping me with the final edit, make sure that people will stay with the book. And it'll be just like a pile of information told in my voice, because I feel like my voice is not is not going to be the minority anymore. I think. I believe people will start feeling the same passion as I'm feeling once they get turned on to this. So I don't want it to look like so just statistical. So, but right now, you know, social media, we're moving it along, getting better at it, posting things and trying to get, you know, more people on board with this campaign. So it's ongoing. You know, if there's anybody, like I said, who wants to help me step it up? You know, I'm not going to say no. Let's have a discussion. A foul ball safety now. It could be financial resources and joining me at my effort. Oh, yeah, I'm open. I'm listening. Uh, or if anyone just wants to share a story, somebody they know who has an incident with foul balls, with foul ball injury, or just wants to talk on or off the record, wants to talk to me for the book. I'm working with Brendan. He's a professional writer. So I'm doing what I can to structure this and present it the right way. The book will be done when people stop talking to me or this will be part one. And I'm ready to release something once I know there's a willing, ready, willing and able audience that's, you know, looking forward to it. So I believe we're getting there. And, you know, it's platforms like this, which give me an opportunity to keep the campaign going. So. This is really a great experience, Terrence. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate all your insights and information and, you know, cluing me in on this, uh, you know, this thing that happens every day that people are unaware of. You know, awareness is key. And I believe that, you know, you will find success in what you're doing. Um, Even if, you know, everyone, um, you know, doesn't seek the reparations, that they so rightly deserve if we can make a change to the to the actual thing that's causing uh you know these traumatic life changes then that that makes all the difference in my mind i believe most if not all of those families would probably say the same thing couldn't have said it any better myself yeah no doubt so uh jordan um why don't you let the people know where they can find you at um you know social media links and where sure Mm -hmm. Sure. So 
definitely go to the foulballsafetynow.com. You'll see, you know, I did have some earned media, like published media from non, mostly, mostly from non-baseball journalists, People Magazine and LA Times and LA Daily News, Boston Globe, Forbes. Great. But it's not moving the needle. Um, you can go to Foulball Safety Now and check it all out. Check out the videos. You can write a message at info at foulballsafetynow.com. And you can check out the, the Facebook and the Twitter it's connections to, at the website to that. Or if you do some searching, you'll find some things on Foulball Safety Now, Facebook and Twitter and you know, I just can't thank you enough, and I encourage everyone listening to please go to the website, sign the petitions, or just share share a message, and I'll get back to you. Most definitely. Jordan Scott, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Terrence. Thank you again for joining me today. Uh, I've been your host, the Landover Legend, a.k.a. Big T, and this has been another installment of the I Can't Make This Up podcast. That's I Can't. Ufa K, make this a podcast. You can find me everywhere podcasts are available. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Please do me a favor and check out my guest's website along with his social media. Help spread awareness of, you know, this growing epidemic of people being severely injured. We need less of that and more of healthy lives to help, you know, continue great organizations from you know, putting a scar on people's families like uh, this particular problem that we just discussed. So, you know, make sure you follow him, check out his content, see what he's talking about, check out the statistics. So, you know, you're not just taking this as word of mouth. You see that he's backed it up with facts. But anyways, until next time, you guys take care. Peace. I can't make this up. Being the wing man got me punched in the face by this crazy chick. I can't make this up. Gave this cool old man to ride home. Now I'm harboring the fugitive. I can't make this up. Pin between the fat chick and the speaker. Now my shirt smell like her backside. I can't make this up. It's all bad cause my man about to get stabbed in his hand over french fries. Bad. And I'ma let the land over legend do the rest. I'm out.